Wan. What's happening, folks? It's your old chuckle buddy. Yes, you. Janet and James Ramcharan. Reporting live for duty on this magnificent December 31st in the year of our Lord, 2019. Welcome and bienvenue to Jonathan Ramcharan, the podcast. Uh-oh. Fire truck. This is the last podcast of 2019, folks. Going up. Yeah. 2020 is upon us. Yeah. So if you're new to the show, Jonathan Ramtran, the podcast, I am an actor extraordinaire. 19 years of service. Diploma in theater arts. Across industries, sometimes it's darkest before the dawn. I forget where I heard that. It might have been Tupac. But anyways, sometimes it's darkest before, you know, what uh, you feel me. You know, sometimes even thugs cry. Every city we go, in every little video, no matter where I go, I see the same hoes. Are you sick from the dick or is it the flu? It ain't about you and your bitch ass crew. I forget where I heard that. It's darkest before the dawn. Maybe it was, um, that other lesbian. Not that Tupac was a lesbian, but who's that fucking, that, you know, that fucking ginger snap. What's her fucking dumbass name? She had one of them names. Yeah, Florence and the Machine. Anyway, sometimes it's darkest before the dawn, right? And across industry, that's how it is, you know? Let's say you're a lawyer and you've been selling your blood just to pay for your fucking classes, you know? You're a car salesman. You're living in the cars that you're trying to sell. You're a truck driver backing up and beeping up and driving around like a dumbass on fucking New Year's Eve. I don't know if you guys heard that beeping sound. There's always some kind of fucking delivery truck in this neighborhood, it seems. But anyways, across industry, sometimes it's darkest before the dawn and it's no different in the world of acting. I had a shit storm of a fucking 2019. I didn't get any acting gigs. You know, I was clamoring around, you know, scratching at people's fucking back door, you know. (laughs) Not really. But I kind of put my foot down and I made some decisions for myself. I'm like, I'm happy with how things are going. There are things that I'm willing to do and there are things that I'm not willing to do. So I had a lot of pride in my 2019 as a thespian, but not so much action. Well, sometimes it's darkest before the dawn. I got an audition. (sighs) Whoa, going up. Yeah, I got an audition coming up. You know, I booked this thing like yesterday and I was sending some emails uh, this morning, confirming things, setting up the audition and stuff. And it seems like a real opportunity. It seems like an opportunity to work with some young, driven individuals such as myself. And I'm very blessed for that. Hallelujah. And also, if you are new to the show, Jonathan Ramtran, the podcast, um, I do audio plays, narration pieces. These are bits of audio performance. Some people call them like 
audio plays, radio plays, narration pieces. In this past year, I've been working with this very um, talented artist. Her name is Felicity. I've been getting to know her professionally, and we've been putting together some great little pieces. Um, The Hook. That was an audio play that I did this past year on um, the urban legend, The Hook, you know, about that psychopathic mental patient who escapes from a asylum and he's like spying on like young lovers as they um, fuck in the backseat of their cars in like a lover's lane. And he's like, <sighs> he's like masturbating with a hook. How do you jerk yourself with a hook? But anyways, he used to do that. So... She did some artwork for an audio play I did on that urban legend. She did some artwork for an um, audio play that I did. "'Twas the Night Before Christmas." That's a famous poem written by Clement Clark Moore. So she did some very fetching artwork for that as well. And you can get all of those on my YouTube channel, Jonathan Ramcharan on YouTube. And go under the section JR the P snips and you can see it. And hallelujah, it's been fun working with her. And we have a few things up our sleeve for 2020. And as always, my dear friend, Nate Nevergreen, he also contributed some beautiful artwork to the podcast. Um, those funky, psychedelic um, elephant drawings that you see um, at the beginning of the show. He drew that by hand. He slaved away. You know, he uses like Japanese pencils and, you know, he fucking gets all crazy with the detail and stuff like that. So I was very fortunate to have him on board this year as well. We're keeping it funky. And going forward to 2020, more things. Big and big and big and up. Things like that. Yeah, man. You heard me. So there you have it, folks. Jonathan Ramcharan, actor. I am also an alcoholic. <sighs> yeah, I am an alcoholic, folks. I currently have three years. Three years of consecutive, consistent sobriety. And as 2019 is coming to a close, I thought it would be cool to put together a little list of ways for people to... Go for sobriety in 2020. You know, we don't know what tomorrow holds. Yesterday is already done. All we got is now. So going forward, folks, this is a list to help people who are struggling with sobriety and people who um, already have some sobriety and are looking for ways to reinforce what they already got. So here's my list, and I hope it can help. If it's good for the goose, it's good for the gander. This is what I do. So this is by no means an end-all and be-all. It's just a quick uh, little snippet of what I'm rocking with and what keeps me motivated. So number one on my list of ways to get sober, get excited. You're going to have to do better than that, you fucking idiot. Get excited. Woo! Going up. Get excited. Do a backflip if you can do it, you know? 
Um, do a somersault. Get silly. Have fun. Get excited. You know? You already know what hell looks like. You've probably been living it. You already know what doom and doom and doom and doomer. <laughs> doom and doomer, dumb and dumber. You already know what doom and doom and dumber dumber and gloom looks like. You already know what it is. So, um, you know, get excited. Get excited to make a change in your life for the better. You know? You know? Um, you know, you're on a journey of self-discovery. You're reinvesting in yourself in a meaningful way. Probably, if you're anything like me, when I got sober, you're reinvesting in a positive way in yourself for maybe the first time in a long time. And I'm not saying get delusional. I'm not saying get self-inflated. I'm not saying make grandiose promises to people and yourself and to God or whatever. I'm saying just get excited because you've been living in hell and it can only get better. That's what I was experiencing. I was experiencing hell. And when it was a when it was time for me to seek recovery, I was just basically thinking like what is the most exciting thing I could possibly do? My life sucks, it's in the gutter, no friends, no family, no career. My health is starting to go, my health my health was starting to slip. And it's like what was the most exciting thing I could do? And the answer was recovery. So that's number 1 on my list of things ways in which to get sober. Number 1 on my list excitement get excited and number two on my list of ways to get sober um acceptance acceptance is key to sobriety i personally come from a 12-step background i belong to a 12-step society this is a society of people who get together These are meetings you can attend throughout the world. That's how far the program reaches. You attend these meetings. Um, You get to share on issues pertaining to your recovery. And you get to listen. You get to hear from others. And through that, you become a part of a community. And you come out of your isolation because alcoholism is very isolating, antisocial behavior. So you come out of your isolation, you become a part of a group, and day by day, these days add up, and one day, you find yourself in a new life. And it's truly blessed. So where acceptance comes into play is that through my 12-step background, I learned um, the first step of the 12-step program, generally speaking, the first step, number one, you've accepted that you are an alcoholic and that your life has become unmanageable. That is the first step. So when you take that first step of acceptance, 
It's like drawing a line in the sand. It's putting your foot down. It's saying enough's enough. You are an alcoholic and that, and that your life has become unmanageable. And when you do that, you are free. There's no more flipping and flopping and turtling and waffling. You know, you are making a statement to yourself. Let's just keep it like that. You're making a statement to yourself that you've accepted. You are no longer going to be playing this game of Am I? Aren't I? Do I have a drinking problem? Don't I have a drinking problem? You've accepted it. And that's key. Because whenever you start to have doubts, whenever you start to have cravings, whenever you start to like, you know, uh, well, maybe I can have a drink. Or, well, maybe I'm not an alcoholic. Or whatever. No. You've accepted you're an alcoholic and your life has become unmanageable. And if you hold on to that and you don't waver from that, it is a very powerful thing. So number two on my list of ways to get sober, acceptance. And number three on my list of ways to get sober is plan. Make a plan of action. Get information. As I already outlined, I am a part of a 12-step society. I do 12-step recovery. And I also get all sorts of information wherever I can. You know, I even turn to Dr. Phil in my lowliest hour. In my lowest hour, I turn to Dr. Phil, you know. I'd rush home from work, crack a beer, you know, I'd chug a beer. You know, you know I'm chain-smoking cigarettes. You know, I'm smoking weed. You know, and I'm watching Dr. Phil, you know, and I'm sitting there and I'm watching him. You know what your problem is? You got a bad attitude. You got no accountability, no responsibility. Your life's a fucking mess. You're just a no good, rotten, lousy, lushy drunk. I'm like, save me, Dr. Phil, save me. I'm sorry. Well, you're going to have to get some accountability in your life. You know, <laughs> I turned to Dr. Phil in my lowliest hour. And, um, you know, he gave me some great information. I love Dr. Phil. So that's what I'm saying. Get a plan, you know. Get information. Get something that works for you. 12-step recovery worked for me. It may not be for everybody, but it's also a source of information. It can be, you know, a tool in your toolbox. It could be a part of your plan. Or whatever floats your boat. You know what I mean? But the main thing, get a plan. So that's my third uh, recommendation on my list. Get a plan. And number four on my ways in which to get sober is um, get a backup plan. (laughs) You know, people have external hard drives Two cell phones, burner phones, you know, side bitch. You know, I got myself a side bitch. You know, people have, you know, double bank accounts, you know, Swiss bank account, you know, Galapagos Islands bank account, you know. Get a backup plan, you know. 
You're in a fight for your life. You're in a fight for your happiness, your health, your freedom. You, you have a spiritual battle ahead of you. And um, <clears throat> I'm not trying to scare you, you know. You're going to war. <laughs> but in a way, you are, you know. You, you're fighting for your own personal freedom, sovereignty, sa- sanity, right? So get a backup plan. Um, that might include, you know, talking with your close family, friends, spouse, bringing them into the mix, letting them be aware of what you're working with, what you're working towards, um, collecting all your information sources, having it nicely organized in front of you. You know, that way when you come home from work or you come home from the gym, if you're feeling a little angsty, you can just flip open a page, read something, you know, um, you know, and have a plan, a backup plan. You know, it will reinforce your commitment to staying sober and it will help you over the little bumps, uh, the little hiccups <laughs> that come with sobriety. You know, your life is going to get better, undoubtedly. But, you know, we live in the world. We have a human experience and things do come up. So a backup plan can only strengthen your commitment to self-realization, self-discovery, and uh, sobriety. So that's number four on my list, backup plan. And number five on my list of ways to get sober Number five, halt. Thou shalt not pass. Remember Family Guy? Thou shalt not pass. You know, thou shalt not pass. Yeah, halt. Now, halt is an acronym. Halt stands for hungry, angry, lonely, tired. Halt. So, the thing about alcoholism is that, to define it, it's a two-part condition, generally speaking. Number one, alcoholics have an allergic reaction to alcohol. They take a sip, they break into a craving, and they can't safely say when they'll stop. So that's the first part of alcoholism, the allergic reaction to alcohol and the craving that ensues. And the second part of what is generally defined of defined as alcoholism is the mental obsession. I'm talking the circus, folks. The circus comes to town when you're an alcoholic. You know, I'm talking fat ladies, bearded ladies, twin-headed boys, clowns, bears on unicycles, acrobats, tight rope walking acts, you know, matadors, lions, elephants, tigers, the whole kit and caboodle, ladies and gentlemen. The circus comes to town when you're an alcoholic. The mental obsession. It's very real. All you're thinking about is like, 
When can I get a drink? Should I drink? Shouldn't I drink? Do I have enough money to drink? Where's my drink? Did I drink? Am I drunk? No, I'm not drunk. How much did I drink? Am I drunk or am I crunk? Like, what am I? Drink, 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 drink. That's all that's on your mind. You wake up, you think about drinking. You go to bed, you dream about drinking. Then you wake up drinking to drink more. You know, it's all about drinking, the mental obsession. So that's the two-part condition, generally speaking, of alcoholism. Number one, the allergic reaction slash craving. And number two, the mental obsession. So where HALT comes into play, the acronym HALT, Hungry, Angry, Lonely, Tired, that little acronym, that reminder can help deter you when you're feeling um, a craving, when you're feeling that mental obsession. HALT. Maybe you're just hungry. Maybe you're just angry. Maybe you're lonely or maybe you're tired. So if you address one of those four very human issues, it can deter you from taking a drink. It can give you that strength to hold out for another day and maintain your sobriety. Halt. Hungry, angry, lonely, tired. So that is the fifth um, on my list of ways to maintain sobriety going forward. And let me just recap my top five ways to stay sober. Number one, get excited, you know? Number two, um, acceptance. Number three, um, plan, get information. Number four, get a backup plan, you know? Reinforce that backup plan, um, you know, a system in which you can rely upon family, friends, phone numbers. You start to meet people at different meetings. You can collect phone numbers and give somebody a call. It's all about one alcoholic connecting with another alcoholic. Talk it out, you know. And number five on that list is halt. Hungry, angry, lonely, tired. Enough with the jazz hands. So there you have it, folks. Jonathan Ramcharan, alcoholic. I am also a janitor. <laughs> I'm talking mop buckets, slop buckets, toilets, tampons, urinals, um, urinal cakes, garbage bins, garbage trolleys, recycle bins, organic waste bins, parking lots, the whole kit and caboodle, ladies and gentlemen. God made dirt and dirt don't hurt. I'm a motherfucking janitor. I push a little mop bucket. I dump and dip the mop in the mop water. Then I mop the floor. You know, I wash windows. You know, I push a garbage trolley. You know what I mean? Um, I vacuum like an asshole. And if it's good for the goose... Good for the gander. You know, it's blessed. <sighs> Had to take a little sip there. <clears throat> but it's blessed. As I mentioned, I am an actor. 
So as an actor, you got various expenses that come up, you know? You want to collaborate with people. Sometimes you have to um, be able to afford their very um, valuable services. You know, you want to hire somebody to, you know, do something for your website, um, help in your in your vision, in your production value of whatever project you're doing. Sometimes you have to be able to hire somebody, right? You know, website design, um, video editing, whatever it is, right? Um, sometimes you might want to take a trip for inspiration, go to a museum, go to New York, catch a Broadway play, you know, hoof it down to fucking L.A., you know, hang out at the Hollywood... Um, Hard Rock Cafe or whatever. I don't know. You know, you want to go out there and shake a tail feather. You know, costs money. And one thing they forget to mention that, um, you know, as a starving artist, you know, there's that illusion that, oh, well, real artists starve or whatever. Well, you know what? That's very honorable. You know, that's very cute. You know, I've done that in the past. Living on a shoestring strung out in men's shelters, drunk and high around the clock. I've done the starving artist thing. It's cute. There's a honorable aspect to it. But what they fail to mention is that um, it's only really cool to be a starving artist if and when you make it. Until then, you're just pretty much a pathetic, washed-up loser has-been hack. You know, you're living on somebody's sofa. You're pathetic, you know? So what my janitorial hustle affords me is um, a way in which to work smarter and not harder. You know, my bases are covered and I'm going forward with my career um, smarter and not harder. Hallelujah. And number two, I am an alcoholic, as I just just mentioned, you know. So, um, you know, idle hands or the devil's playground. <laughs> so as an alcoholic, when you're sitting around twiddling your thumbs, twiddly D, that's when all the negativity, the bad thoughts, the bad actions um, can potentially creep up. So having a nine to five gig is a way in which to keep me productive and focused on my recovery and my career and on myself as a human being, you know? It's work being alive, isn't it? So, yes, I am very blessed to be a janitor. And as 2019 comes to a close, you know, I, I, I notice, you know, there's always something to laugh about and to take, um, you know, thought and reflection on as a janitor. Because it's relatable across careers, you know? A lot of the um, lessons that I learn as a janitor, I apply to my acting. I apply to my dealing in the everyday world, you know? It's all relatable. It's all information. I apply it to my recovery. Like, for example, um, it's been a war. It's been a war, this past 2019, we're at war. The janitors are at war. It's like day shift and night shift. They're like, 
they're like butting heads. They're at war. The day shift and the night shift in my job, they're just beaking, kabeeking, squawking, barking at each other. Um, you know, the day janitors, which is the crew that I work on, they're accused of not working very hard by the night janitors. The night janitors, it's everybody accusing each other. Like the, my crew is accusing the other crew of not working. It's all this blah, blah, blah. And in the moment, um, I'm feeling like I don't care. I don't care about any of that and to speak on that other than it's important across careers to um, minimize the nonsense, focus focus on what's important, and stay on point. That's very basic. That's very common sense. But we lose sight of that. At least I do. It's very easy to lose sight of that in the world in which we live. It's a world of dog eat dog, you know? Like, there's that famous quote by, um, well, in the Tennessee Williams play, A Streetcar Named Desire. Blanche Dubois, the Southern Belle, you know? Towards the end of the play, she makes a statement. She says, I've always depended upon the kindness of strangers. I've always depended upon the kindness of strangers. I remember hearing that quote. I think um, first first time I heard that quote, I think was on The Simpsons. <laughs> remember when Marge um, uh, gets the lead as Blanche Dubois in that um, the play? You know, Ned Flanders just shredded. Stella! Stella! Can't you hear me, Yella? You're putting me through hella. Stella! Stella! You know? I first heard that quote, I think, on The Simpsons. And, yo, like, I've always depended upon the kindness of strangers. I never really gave it much thought. You know? But I guess what is part of what is so endearing and, you know, long-lasting about Tennessee Williams. Tennessee Williams? Tennessee C. Williams? John C. Riley? Tennessee Williams, right? Is that his name? Yes. What's so, um, I guess, poignant of his work is, um, you know, not to speak on his work, I'm getting out of the place there because I've read his work, The Glass Menagerie, A Streetcar Named Desire. Um, you know, I'm aware of his work, Cat on a Haunted, Cat on a Haunt Tin Roof. You know, I'm aware of that, his work, not to call myself a scholar. But basically what is so, to me, poignant in that quote, um, I've always depended upon the kindness of strangers is that on one hand, it is a beautiful statement that we should all be ideally free, comfortable, 
and loving enough to accept the kindness of strangers, you know, openness to strangers. You're an open book. You're an open person. That's ideal, right? Love one another. Get along with one another. And the flip side of that is the naivete, <laughs> naivety, the naive aspect, you know, to depend upon the kindness of strangers. What are you, fucking retarded? We live in a cynical world where people are motivated by self-interest. And I'm not just talking about being a janitor, you know? If you go back in the lexicon of Jonathan Ramchand on the podcast, I spoke on various situations in my janiteering career where little bit of this, little bit of that, all these stupid little situations would arise. And I spoke about them throughout the year. And, you know, I had fun hamming it up when it was time to ham it up and joke around when it was time to joke around. But I'm not just talking about this to talk about it, you know? These are things we have to think about. Well, you don't have to do anything. But for me, my spiritual, my spirituality, my spiritual health, and my financial health are tied into how I deal with strangers. The kindness of strangers. How do you interact with strangers? You know what I mean? Stranger danger. How do you interact with people, basically? You know what I mean? Because on one hand, it's like, oh, you know, you're just babbling about janitors and blah, blah, blah. But it's like, well, actually, no, this is how you communicate in the world. You know what I mean? You got to think about your actions and think about what is being said to you and what's coming at you. And how do you deal with this? How do you approach this? How do you move How do you make your move in the world? Because it's naive to think that there aren't people out there basically trying to destroy you. You know, the night janitors beefing with the day janitors and diddly-da, diddly-do. This is just negativity, orchestrated, designed, intentional negativity to tear people down. To keep them trapped in a world of hell and argumentation and blah, blah, blah and diddly-duh. It's basically mental poison. And it's relatable across industry because I don't give a bum-ba-clot fuck about being a janitor other than to fulfill my obligation, meet the requirements of my job, and to go forward with my career as a performer and my health as a human being. And this is food for thought because, you know, you are who you are in any situation, ideally, right? And it's about knowing how to move in these worlds. And I hope this isn't sounding too vague, too metaphysical, too overthought. But hey, preparedness Thought is the crowning difference between people who make good decisions and bad decisions. And moving forward in my life as a janitor, as an alcoholic, as a performer, 
I'm going to go forward into 2020 and shake away the debris of negative thought, um, and go forward with positive thought. <laughs> it can be as simple as that, you know? I'm not going to pay attention to the negativity. I'm going to focus only on the positive. And I'm very blessed to be a janitor. So there you have it, folks. Janitor Ramcharan. Janitor. And last of all, I am a stand-up comedian extraordinaire. Yes, 11 years of experience. Now, as I mentioned, the negativity, the backstabbing, the bullshit of a bureaucratic workplace as a janitor. Why this stuff is food for thought, good for the goose, good for the gander, transferable across industry is in my earlier days as a stand-up comedian, I definitely faced a lot of that to the point in which I am still somewhat, I almost feel like I'm um, still feel experiencing a little bit of PSD. PTSD, post-traumatic stress disorder. I'm still feeling a little bit of that from my earlier days. You know, as I mentioned with the janitor's beefing, if people can be that small and petty over a job that doesn't even fucking matter in the grand scheme of things, and, you know, that's being condescending towards janitors because in the grand scheme of things, does anything really matter? But, like, you know, if I can, if it can be that, petty in the world of janiteering, think about the world of comedy, where there are big paydays to be made, and it's very competitive, and it's very ego-driven, show business. Now, that is not my goal to um, reap some huge reward, some big cash payday, but it's a very competitive field that I'm in. And in my earlier days as a stand-up comedian... I remember there were a lot of situations where older comics weren't particularly good to me. And again, in the spirit of positivity over negativity, I'm going to be kind of brief with this. I had a few stories lined up. Um, I had a couple situations I was going to go into. But what I'm feeling right now in the moment is it's suffice to say positivity over negativity. That's what I'm going for. And in a lot of ways, that's what it's always been. And that's why it is very important to um, take consideration and focus on your surrounding environment or else you could become a victim to it if you let yourself, you know? And, you know, going forward with my stand-up comedy career, I got a few leads coming up into 2020, a couple interesting ideas that I want to hash out, a few opportunities that I want to pursue, and I'm just going forward with that positivity. Hallelujah. Hallelujah. So there you have it, folks. Jonathan Ramcharan, stand-up comedian. And those are the four things that sum me up at the moment. Jonathan Ramcharan, actor, alcoholic, janitor, 
stand-up comedian. So, welcome to the show. Yeah, 2019. It's over. This is December 31st, 2019. In a couple hours, we will be in a new decade, 2020. And um, I already mentioned there um, some of my goals going forward. Um, Positivity, career stuff, blah, 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 yada, yada, yada. But it's very... um, It's very um, poignant in this day and age because we're looking at a time in which there's so much stress and angst societally in the societal dream. There's so much stress and angst. You see it in the political landscape. You see it in the cultural landscape. You see it in the um, gender, sexuality landscape. There's a lot of... hmm, And what I'm trying to take refuge and comfort in going forward into 2020 is the teachings of my man, Jesus Christ. Now, I'm not caught up on the whole religious aspect, more so than the message. The message is one of quite poignant importance. So let me spit it out here for you. The main thing that your man, Jesus Christ, was trying to teach us. So, what is Jesus' love commandment? I command you to love. Jesus said unto him, Thou shalt love the Lord thy God with all thy heart, and with all thy soul, and with all thy mind. This is the first and great commandment, and the second is like unto it. Thou shalt love thy neighbor as thyself. On these two commandments hang all the law and the prophets. Thou shalt love thy neighbor as thyself. I can't reinforce how important that is. Because my world is one of Beauty and decay. I see it all. You know? And going forward, wanting to take the most positive approach is to love. Because I'm pretty good with the idea of do unto others as you will do unto yourself. I treat people fairly that way. But people are hard to love. They truly are. You know, you stand behind some bozo at the fucking grocery store and they're, baby, where did I put my wallet? It's like, is this your first time in a fucking lineup? Am I to believe that this is the first time you just materialized on earth and this is your first experience paying for a chocolate bar at the fucking grocery store? Are you fucking kidding me? How am I supposed to love you like myself? I'm not as dumb as you. I'm not as stupid, ignorant, backward, and fucking boneheaded as you. How can I love thyself as myself? It's unquestionable. And it's like... Going forward. 
finding a way to be more engaged with people because it's so easy to keep everything and everyone at bay. Stay the fuck about my face. And rapport, connectivity, that's what I really want in my life. That's how I want to grow. And major for 2020. These are all very seemingly simple, easy, common sense, duh, things I'm talking about. But it really all comes down to that. If we loved one another as we loved ourselves, there wouldn't be so much chaos in the world. You know? And I don't want to get on a high horse about it other than to say, I believe that is key. If it's good for the goose, it's good for the gander. So, going forward in 2020, folks, I wish you all a blessed end to 2019 and a very recharged, alive, and loving outlook for 2020. You're worth it. I love you. But yo, let's get into some headlines. Let's get into some things that rocked your world in 2019. So, I have some articles here. Some very fetching articles. So this is from cbc.ca. And these were the stories that got Toronto talking in 2019. These are the stories, the most notable stories of 2019 in Toronto. With 2020 nearly here, it's time to take a long look back at the biggest news stories of the year in the greater Toronto area. And what a spin around the sun it's been. To reflect on 2019, CBC Toronto has curated a list of some of the year's most talked about headlines. Juicy. Raptors' big win. We the North. The Raptors' incredible NBA championship win was the contender for story of the year in Toronto. The Raps, baby. It was a chapter of sports history that Toronto will never forget. Yeah, I'll never fucking forget it. As I mentioned, I'm a stand-up comedian. I was producing shows this summer. What a fucking headache. Good luck selling a ticket when the Raptors are in town. Good luck. You know what I mean? Everything pretty much um, entertainment-wise, live entertainment-wise in Toronto shuts down when them fucking Raptors are on the fucking court. Holy bumblecut blood clot hell. I mean, I love you boys, but Jesus, you know? I was thinking about it. It's like if I could get like half a percent of their fan base, if they could transfer me 0.5 of a percent of the fucking Toronto Raptors fan base, I'd be like selling out shows. When the when they won their fucking NBA title, championship title, and they did the downtown parade. There were something like a million people. It was in the hundreds of thousands of people that attended that fucking um, parade. And well-deserved, great for the city. But, 
you know, as I mentioned in my little diatribe, you know, um, <laughs> I'm like anybody, I'm like any idiot. I'm self-centered. What about me? You know, they were killing my comedy shows, man. I was like performing to nobody, empty chairs. I'm like staring out at the audience. There was like nobody. There was literally a time when I was on stage and I was just like up there. I'm like, uh, so, you know, I've been trying some online dating recently. Anybody here online date? Anybody here uh, get a hand job online? There wasn't even a cricket in the audience. The crickets like packed up their shit and they went and they went to the fucking basketball game to, you know, eat some fucking pizza crumbs off the floor of fucking, you know, Scotiabank Arena. I think that's where the Raptors play. Is that what it's called now? Scotiabank Theater? Scotiabank Arena? Yeah, because it used to be Air Canada Center. Now it's Scotiabank Arena. But anyways, man, those Raptors fucked me this year. But congratulations, folks, to all your loving... Raptors fans out there. <laughs> but hey, if it's good for the goose, it's good for the gander. It rocked the city. It was a good vibe. It felt very communal. So I did feel a part of the win, even though I never watched basketball. And I am black. So anyways, uh, the Raptors 2019 championship win. Also coming up on the top stories of 2019 in Toronto, Chair Girl. This fucking bozo, this bimbo. While many people seem ready to forget her, <laughs> yeah, that's right, it's impossible to reflect on the year that was in news without mentioning Chair Girl. Chair Girl? For some reason, for some reason, incomprehensible to most people, Marcella Zoa, 19 at the time, decided to throw a folding chair from the balcony of a downtown Toronto high-rise onto the streets below. Um, yeah. A short video of the toss made Zoya instantly, instantly, <laughs> that's like an Instagram, that's like an Instagram word, instantly, Instagramly. I guess I just made that up. I don't know. A short video of the toss made Zoa instantly infamous. In November, she pleaded guilty to one count of mischief endangering life. She is scheduled to be sentenced in January. And if I recall correctly, um, at her sentencing this coming January, she's looking up, she's looking at facing potentially a maximum of six months in jail so um hey chair girl i'm ready to forget you on to 2020. this next one is very sad raya rajkumar beautiful little girl 11 year old girl raya rajkumar um like any other year this has been no shortage of tragedy in the GTA in 2019. But one in particular hit Canadians especially hard. Raya Rajkumar, 11, was the subject of a late night Amber Alert on February 14th. Hours later, the Brampton girl, the Brampton girl, was found dead in a basement apartment where her father lived. Rupesh Rajkumar, 41, 
was charged with first-degree murder in her death, but died of a self-inflicted gunshot wound, gunshot wound in hospital just a few days later. Raya was remembered as a beautiful, lively young girl who touched lots of lives in her short life. So yes, this poor young 11-year-old girl was murdered by her father, and then he in turn committed suicide. The only good that could possibly come of that is that that story might reach other people who are possibly feeling the way the father did, and hopefully it could shed some insight, some learning on that situation and what a bad idea it is to take the life of a child for whatever reason someone might have to do so. Perhaps they could shed some light on this very real and not so unheard of situation, you know? A lot of distressed fathers, mothers, distressed parents, sometimes their way out is, you know, what is it, familia side, family side, where they, they take out the whole family, then kill themselves. So hopefully this can shed some light. That's the most positive thing to take away from it. God bless you, young one. God bless you, Raya Rajkumar. I'm hoping I'm pronouncing that right. That's why I'm looking. Raya Rajkumar. God bless you, young lady. Too soon. Taken too soon. And that's why I speak on the teachings of Jesus. You know? He did more than just turn water into wine and get you drunk for free. He, you know, he was speaking some real stuff. Believe it or not, love is the answer. The Ford Government Premier Doug Ford's government captured the country's attention during a whirlwind year in Ontario politics. Its first budget in April set the stage for major changes in hot-button areas of policy like health care, autism treatment and services, public transit and education, just to name a few. Ford's aggressive agenda has sparked clashes with inflammation. <clears throat> Ford's aggressive agenda has sparked clashes with influential interest groups and even led the province to walk back some of its moves in face of staunch opposition. There were also some more outlandish controversies like a plan to purchase a 50k custom van for the premier and his team to travel in and a number of eyebrow-raising patronage appointments that preceded his chief of staff's resignation. Oh, and of course, the province, the province changed the slogan on Ontario's license plates. Doug Ford, obnoxious outspoken, um, but also an elected official. He connects with some people. Don't know what to think of him. Don't particularly care. Can't we all just get along? All right. Alleged workplace poisoning. 
This is the first time I'm even really reading about this one. This one's pretty crazy. Check this news article. Alleged workplace poisoning. It's a tale of workplace rivalry gone dangerously overboard. And one that apparently lots of Canadians could empathize with. Emphasize with. Lots of Canadians could emphasize with. For lots of different reasons, we assume. Matza Belshevili. Sorry if I'm mispronouncing that. Matza Belshevili says that she went through hell as her one-time co-worker at the Estee Lauder counter in the downtown Hudson's Bay location allegedly tainted her drinking water with Lysol cleaning spray on multiple times over several months. I don't know what she's belly aching about. I used to drink that shit all the time back in the day when I was a drunk. Kidding. It was hell, woman's co-worker accused of repeatedly tainting water with a bottle of Lysol. Bella Chevalier, then 33, had bouts of nausea, headaches, and skin irritations, she said. In some instances, she had to take days off from work because she felt so ill. This is a crazy story. After security cameras caught her co-worker in the act, police charged the woman with one count of administering, administrating a noxious substance with intent to cause bodily harm and one count of mischief to interfere with property. <laughs> Is that how her employer looks at her? You're interfering with my property. Don't poison my property. <laughs> Is that what her boss said? You're poisoning my property. <laughs> so anyways, um, this um, offender, this co-worker, after security cameras caught her co-worker in the act, Police charged the woman with one count of administrating a noxious substance with intent to cause bodily harm and one count of mischief to interfere with property. So yeah, this all goes back to what I'm talking about. We live in a world of ego, self-interest, cynicism, the definition that people are motivated by self-interest. Her co-worker, this lazy She's crazed with whatever delusions are in her head to poison her co-worker with Lysol. Harming, harming her co-worker's well-being. Potentially fatally. So it's like, this is why it's so important to, you know, take a more human approach to dealing with people. Take that step to make the world a better place. And in doing that, you serve your fellow human being. And one of the hopeful side effects is you will find the peace, joy, and happiness that you seek. One hand washes the other. It doesn't poison the other. You know what I mean? Like, so hey... That was a story in Toronto this year. A happy ending. This is another one. It was a whirlwind affair that began with a Saudi teen barricaded in a Thai hotel room, bravely defying the laws of her country and against long odds, refusing to return to her allegedly abusive family. Just days later, 
Rahaf Mohammed Alquin Rahaf Mohammed Alquanon was on Canadian soil, flanked by smiling officials and local service providers amid the fucking blah 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 blah. I'm getting sick of talking. It's just too much bullshit in this world. This poor girl has to flee her homeland because of her crazy abused family. Abusing family. Let me get through through this here. Just days later, Rahaf Mohammed Al Quanon was on Canadian soil, flanked by smiling officials and local service providers amid the flash of cameras, a swift revolution, resolution to a story that could have had a very different ending. The hashtag Save Rahaf campaign would have been impossible without the help from an online group of like-minded Saudi women who campaigned for women's rights online. In a one-on-one interview with CBC News, the teen opened up about what she'd been through. It was exposed, I was exposed to physical violence, persecution, oppression, threats to be killed. I was locked in for six months, she said in Arabic, describing what happened after she cut her hair, something her family was strongly against. I felt I could not achieve my dreams that I wanted as long as I was still living in Saudi Arabia. So this poor teen, abused, confined by her family for cutting her hair, going against tradition... Now she's on Canadian soil, she's happy, she's healthy, she's moving on with her life. Five siblings find each other. With a little detective work and help from a DNA test, an Ontario woman recently found three sisters and a brother she never knew she had. The mailman was very busy, apparently. This is a story about the strength of familial bonds and love between siblings that captivated readers across Canada. I'm not going to fucking read it, but it sounds very touching. So this lady finds her long-lost brothers and sisters. Beautiful. Local talents break big. Yeah. Local talents breaks big. It was a big year for hometown, homegrown GTA talent. In July, it was announced that Mississauga's Simu Liu will be Marvel's first Asian-American superhero. I thought Jackie Chan was. Anyway, on the silver screen. Shang-Chi and the Legend of the Ten Rings is slated for release in 2020. 2021. Yes, Shang-Chi and the Legend of the Ten Rings is slated for release in 2021. Sounds like a, you know... Asian version of the Lord of the Rings or something, you know? I don't know. Could be okay. Lou also plays Jung on the CBC sitcom Kim's Convenience. That one I have to catch up on. I heard it's great. Kim's Convenience. Yeah. So, that same month, month, Mississauga teen, crazy fucking name here, uh, Metaraya Ramakrishian, Metaraya Ramakrishian, got news that she had beat out 15,000 competitors to snag the central role in Mindy Killing's new Netflix comedy series. Oh yeah, the Mindy Project, right? That actress, writer, Mindy Killing. She was at home in her dining room when Killing 
best known for The Office and The Mindy Project, and co-creator Lang Fisher called to give her the good news. Inspired by elements of Kaling's own upbringing, the series is said to be coming-of-age tale centered on Devi, a modern-day, first-generation Indian-American teen. One of the things Ram Karishriyan is most excited about is that the series will tell stories through the lens of a young South Asian woman growing up in North America. I'm a firm believer that if you don't see what you want in the media or in the world in general, you should go out there and be the change and take up that space, she said. I think Gandhi said that. Be the change you want to see in the world? An eye for an eye leaves the whole world blind? Somebody make me a grilled cheese sandwich, I'm starving? Anyways, go after your dreams. Don't stop for anyone, she told CBC News. Yeah. All right. So yeah, that's a very positive story. Falling vomit, bones and bottles and butts. If you, like an ever-increasing number of Torontonians, live in a high-rise building or near one, then you can probably relate this story on some level. In February, residents of a century-old historic building downtown told CBC Toronto they were fed up with their neighbors vomiting and tossing bottles, bones, and cigarette butts down onto their balconies. It's a beautiful building, but it's a shame, said Richard Blundell, who lives in the fifth-floor penthouse unit in the building. <laughs> That's a fucking bogus story. That bozo probably works at the CBC, and he's just trying to like push his agenda. Fuck off. Trouble on the runway. This is a travel story. Not too interested in it. Oh, this one's crazy. <clears throat> Fatal boat crash on Lake Joseph. On the night of August 24th on Lake Joseph in Ontario Cottage Country, Linda O'Leary was driving a boat involved in a crash that killed two people, Gary Poltash, 64, and Susanna Brito, 48. Both were on the vessel that was struck by O'Leary's boat and they suffered fatal head trauma in the collision. The wife of entrepreneur and media personality Kevin O'Leary, known for his cantankerous on-screen persona, O'Leary's case garnered a lot of public interest. She has since been charged with careless operation of a vessel under the Canadian Shipping Act. If found guilty, guilty, she could face a $10,000 fine. The man driving the other boat, Robert Ruh, and is charged with failing to exhibit a navigation light while underway. CBC News reported in November that the OPP said O'Leary had alcohol on her breath in the hours following the crash. She says she was given a vodka beverage by someone after the collision. O'Leary is scheduled to be back in court in January. That one's pretty crazy. Um, Kevin O'Leary, billionaire, um, entrepreneur, Canadian, shark's den, shark tank or whatever, you know, lion's den or dragon's den or whatever, that show, you know. Um, yeah, his wife apparently got drunk, drove a boat and killed two people. We'll see how it plays out. Money is always a factor in the world, unfortunately. You can always buy a good defense, but hey, that made news just because of the... Um, the uh, prolific 
nature of her husband, Kevin O'Leary. So, I mean, it's a tragedy overall. At the end of the day, it's between the families and the O'Learys. They have to live with the situation. Godspeed to them. Blah, blah, blah. This is kind of a boring story. And that about wraps it up. Those are some of the top headlines of Toronto 2019. Food for thought. And obviously, one of the big stories going into um, the new year is the Donald Trump impeachment. President Trump. He has officially been impeached and there's going to be a Senate trial. We'll see what happens there. Too blessed to stress at the moment. Let it be. Let it all be revealed in time. So going forward, folks, we are at the end of this episode. This is the last episode of Jonathan Ramcharan, the podcast, 2019. Thank you for all your support this year. Thank you very much for being you because, you know, I'm your mother. Hit me up, jr.thepodcast at gmail.com if you have any questions, queries, or qualms on the show. Going forward, I'm going to be looking for new ways to keep this show alive, interesting, engaging. Pardon me for some of the little uh, rasp in my throat. I think you guys kind of caught on to that as I was doing my reading on the news articles. But overall, feeling very blessed. I got a couple Netflix shows I'm going to go stock up on and watch this New Year's Eve. And I'm wishing the best to all of you and yours going forward. Aight? It's your old chuckle buddy. Guess who? Jonathan James Ramtran. Reporting live for duty on this magnificent December 31st, 2019. Going forward, 2020, grab it, baby. Hit me up again, jr.thepodcast at gmail.com. Check me out on YouTube, Jonathan Ramcharan on YouTube. We got video podcasts. Hit me up, iTunes, Spotify. I'm available on those sites. Also, my own website, jonathan-ramcharan.com. Till next time, ladies and gentlemen. Walk with Jesus. He carried your ass long enough. If you ever heard that story about the sand, you know? How come there's only one footprint? How come there's only one footprint in the sand? Because I've been carrying your dumb ass for the last fucking 10 years. You know? Walk with Jesus. Walk with positivity. Walk with love. This 2020, folks. It's for you to have. It's for you and yours. Till next time. You live it. You love it. You realize it. I. Thank <laughs> you.